welcome to Industry Minds, the podcast that discusses the importance of talking about mental health within the creative arts. My name is Kathy Reid. And mine's Scarlett Maltman. And this week we are joined by the wonderful Tom Jackson-Greaves. Hello, Tom. Hello, nice to be here. <laughs> We're so happy to have you here. Uh, Tom is a choreographer and director with a vast amount of industry knowledge and experience under his belt. So we hope that this will be a very insightful interview to our listeners. He is the associate at Nehi Theatre Company as well as the Watermill Theatre. Some of his work includes Spring Awakening at the Hope Mill in Manchester, uh, the Glass Menagerie, Boudica, is that how you say it? Boudica. 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 Yeah. Boudica. Six one nine. Hey, that. WWE. I have no idea what you're talking about, but cool. Neither do I, but that's fine. Well, she knows, so it's cool. At the Globe, which is so cool. The Life at Southwark Playhouse, and you're currently working on Wise Children at the Old Vic, which I saw an advert for on the tube on the way here, and I was like, that's cool. And the Priscilla UK tour. So. Uh, an incredible wealth of work and um, thank you so much for joining us today Tom we can't wait to hear your insights on the industry um Scarlett would you like to start yes are you ready for a cheeky game oh I love okay so this is a word association game right okay. so first thing that comes into your head mm-hmm. so improvisation terrifying foot thongs the devil's work <laughs> mind blank Absolutely fine. Fringe theatre. Tricky. Teamwork. Integral. Eggs Benedict. Questionable. Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) 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 Uh, Cogsworth. (laughs) This is my favourite. Fluorescent green lycra... (laughs) Fluorescent green lycra flared jazz pants. No. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I mean, I definitely want a pair for Crimbo. Right. <laughs> okay, so Tom, let's go back to the start. When did you first fall in love with dance and choreography? Oh, I started dance at about 10 years old and it was a bit of an accident. Um A lovely, brilliant woman called Sarah Waller, who uh, I still know very well, uh, came into my primary school in Cornwall and did a dance about coffee beans. And I was a brilliant coffee bean. So that was the start of my love affair with dance, being a coffee bean. It was really high art. And um, <laughs> and but what was the costume like? I can't remember. I feel like it would have probably been like a poo brown T-shirt or something. But um, I absolutely just loved it and I just pushed everyone out the way and I was front and centre and living my best life and I didn't really know what I was doing but I loved it and they kind I just knew I wanted to learn how to do the splits I remember saying can you teach me how to do the splits and she was like well not really you just have to stretch a lot and I was devastated that it wasn't something you could learn like in a day um that was my first experience (laughs) of dance and um, from there um my brilliant mother who is a musician and artist as well said right let's get you going if you love this and she took me to a ballet class where I was the only boy and I was terrified of the prospect of tights and tutus and and um cried a lot (laughs) <laughs> the first time I went uh, but I had a male ballet teacher in the middle of Cornwall who was called Jason Thomas and he's still he runs an empire of dance schools in Cornwall now 
but he completely made me feel at ease and made me feel like I was really important and that I should be there. And um, and I just fell in love and from there kept doing more and more dance. And I went to a secondary school where I had a dance department. I lucked out. I really lucked out um, with a brilliant teacher. I'm just name dropping all the people that I love yeah. who. <laughs> um, but um, I had a brilliant teacher named Alison Duress who was the head of dance and drama at my secondary school. And I did my GCSE dance um, when I was 12. She pushed me to go, I want you to do really well and I want you to push this. So I was doing, I was dancing every day of the week from about 12 to 16, yeah. And um, lots of youth dance companies, but I fell in love with contemporary dance. Um, I was a bit like, put off by the kind of technicality and the strictness of ballet. And, um, and I just wanted to throw myself around on the floor and be really emotional. I think that's why I loved it, because as a teenager feeling slightly awkward and a bit lost and not really knowing what I was about as a human being yet. I knew I was slightly on, I was an oddball and I didn't fit in with the rest of the people that I was around. I just loved being able to get really emotionally involved in something and not really have to think about it too much. So yeah, contemporary dance grabbed me and um, and it took me to London at 16 and I started training at London Contemporary Dance School and I was the only 16 year old, everyone else was 18 because I was such a stubborn little thing <laughs> that I, <laughs> I can't swear, stubborn yeah. little shit I was, um, I was a stubborn shit and I fought desperately to get onto this degree course at 16 because I knew I wanted to go to that school. I don't know who I thought I was, literally, come on, like the, <laughs> the audacity, but I fought and I got in and they let me come and it was incredible um, and in lots of ways I wasn't ready for it because I was too young yeah. and I didn't necessarily make the most of all the opportunities I had there, but on the whole I learned a hell of a lot and um, in my second year uh, Matthew Bourne came to watch one of our performances and the rest is history, <laughs> as they say. Amazing, amazing story. Um, so just going back to, um, well, it's not drama school, but dance, dance school, yeah. Um, was there any mental health struggles while you were there? Obviously, like you say, that's such a young age to expose yourself to the dance world. Um, just talk us through um, mentally. Um, it, being at... Uh, a contemporary dance school, I think in lots of ways, was maybe slightly more um, positive in relation to mental health mm -hmm. than maybe a ballet school or a musical theatre college because there was a lot less maybe pressure to think about aesthetics of how people were looking, which I know is something that's very regularly a thing, especially in ballet school. Um, Obviously, it's a struggle, isn't it? It's the, the sort of things we put ourselves through as dancers or actors or musicians in training is really intense. And those long hours and you're putting yourself out there to be critiqued and give out emotional art that you're making or, you know, emotional performance. Um, and in lots of ways, I feel like there was a lot, there was good support at where I trained. Um, Everyone has moments, don't they? And everyone goes through different stages of... I, I, and I had, I had a f especially at the very beginning, I felt very overwhelmed and I didn't really know... I couldn't really cope. And I think that was to do with my age. But there was a very good 
base of people to talk to, even if it wasn't specialist help to do with mental health. We all, I think they had a good structure of uh, kind of uh, heads of years and mentors and uh, quite a lot of dialogue between students and teachers um, and there was always the opportunity to sign up to see a counsellor that was always a very clear thing um, and actually I don't think I ever did um, even though maybe I could have done at points um, but I think it was a very small college as well and um, so there was a lot there was a lot more space for people to um, have kind of more intricate relationships with the staff so people knew how people were doing a lot more I think um, and so in lots of ways I think there was I'm sure there could always be more support um, but in lots of ways I think on the whole it was very positive yeah, amazing. and is that when you started the whole choreography side of it all as well when when you went to dance school um, yeah I I started choreographing when I was really young because I just loved it throwing myself around as a coffee bean and all that jazz um I definitely I remember making a, a dance about I'd been on holiday to Kenya when I was 12 which was very lucky but I came back and made a dance about it that's how inspirational I was as a young person um so I started chore choreographing quite young um but I did start making my own work more seriously when I was at college and um I felt very pressured actually to make a very certain style of dance when I was at college because of the people that I was surrounded by and the styles and the fashions of it's like all theatre and you know musicals or whatever they go through stages of what's fashionable and I felt very kind of pressured to try and make something that would be liked and and people would really enjoy um so even though I do say yeah I started choreographing then I wouldn't say it was very truthfully what I wanted to be yeah, doing yeah, yeah, yeah. and um and it wasn't until a few years after that I started doing more. Um, obviously contemporary as the art form it is very deep it can be very emotional do you think you know going into the contem contemporary side as opposed to going to a ballet school do you think that bettered your mental health? Um, potentially yeah I think I think there was I th this is something that um, I feel quite passionately about on the whole is that as contemporary dancers, you're trained to think as an artist in a way that is questioning and potentially uh, has the opportunity to say no. <laughs> and uh, and in a similar way, to, I think, to actors in some ways, very different training, but kind of straight acting. There's, uh, you know, questioning what your character's all about or uh, why you're doing the things you're doing. or And there was always a very big uh, kind of look to collaboration and um so in some ways I think that was brilliant and that does help men mental health because you don't feel as alone and you feel uh like you can have conversations whereas I one of my um kind of big things that I think about a lot now is where does collaboration come into training in musical theatre and where does collaboration come into training in other slightly more classical forms of dance um, and I I worry about it because I think a huge part of what we do as performers in any art form is about how you work with other people. 
<coughs> I'm getting a little cough, sorry. Um, yeah, I think a huge part of what we do as performers is collaborating. Even if you're not making anything, if you're just being taught um, steps or whether you're singing a vocal line that you've been taught, there's a level of collaboration that you need to have with the people you're working with to kind of feel like you can do your best. And I do think about it a lot that I wonder where that can come into to training more in musical theatre um, to make you feel empowered as someone that can ask questions that they're not they don't need to be sassy and they don't need to be um, you know picky they're just being able to feel like you can have ownership of what you're doing to go how can I do this in the best way or what do you think if I try it like this and it's just I think that was something that I definitely got out of my training which was being emboldened enough to feel like I could ask questions. So, um, also obviously including dance school and stuff, what has your relationship with your mental health been from training to the present day? Can you talk us through your journey? Um, I would say that I have never had a real uh, struggle with mental health. I feel like I've been, there's been dark patches where I've, I have struggled in general with whether it has been to do with work or to do with family or to do with loss or um, bereavement, grief. Um, I've, I would feel like I could kind of pinpoint two or three moments in my life where I've felt like uh, there has been a darkness that has been really hard to come out of. And I guess that is mental health and I've never really thought about it in that way. I spend so much of my time thinking about other people's well-being as as a creative my priority going into a room is usually the well-being of the people I'm working with or the people that I'm leading as a as an art as a choreographer or a director or whatever um and now maybe this is the first time I'm realizing that maybe I did have some patches that um you could consider mental health struggles um I would say the biggest struggle I've ever had with my mental health was as a performer. And um, and I think that has fueled the way I work as a creative because I've learned from how that felt. Um, and the work we do as performers is so draining and exposing whether you're perf in a show or not. Um, I was very lucky when I was the state, the kind of big chunk of time I was performing I got to do brilliant things and I got to be in brilliant shows and tour all over the world, you know, dream stuff, dream stuff. But the pressure that can be put on performers to be their best and to kind of not really quake in any way, you know, to be solidly perfection, that's that thing that is kind of can be drilled into you as a performer. And I'm... Um, I remember getting to a point where I definitely felt like I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't doing my best because I was so panicked about doing my best. And I was tired and I was lonely and I felt kind of like, like a bit of shit really. I felt really low in what I was bringing to the table with my work. And I couldn't get out of it for quite a long time. And it did trigger me stopping performing sooner than I probably would have done. Um, so I have, yeah, I've definitely had a mental health struggle, haven't I? The darkness of 
mental health can be very tricky to find any light to try and find the way out and I've that's what I found I think in my worst patch was how can I find the light to make sure I can feel good about what I'm doing I shouldn't be doing something if it's really making me unhappy um and I say that a lot to friends and colleagues and say right where's the joy in what we're doing why are we here what are we doing what's the aim my aim as a performer was to tell stories in the end that's what I loved doing I loved being able to go on stage and tell a story to an audience and have that connection and if I couldn't do that I shouldn't be doing it because it was really unhappy so I found I took a big jump I've always been quite stubborn and kind of <laughs> strong-willed <laughs> and I took a big jump when I was in that stage and I said right I'm not going to perform anymore I'm going to take a break I don't know what I'm going to do um and luckily that's where choreography fell into my lap as a thing that I knew I loved and could find much more happiness in um this don't get me wrong I've, I've had some brilliant times performing but I think on my journey with mental health that would be sadly performing was a big part of my dark patch so on the topic of um being a choreographer how would you um describe your style of choreography and how does like that creative outlet how does that help you mentally i love your style of choreography i think that i've seen quite a few things that you've done um yeah how would you describe what you do if you can describe it my style of choreography it's funny because I I think about some of my biggest inspirations in choreography, you know, going back to people like, well, obviously people like Fosse and and now in, if I'm talking about musical theatre, um, I kind of compart I compartmentalise, if that's a word, my brain into different facets of choreography. I have kind of different compartments of the work as I, I do as a choreographer whether it's working as a movement director on a play or a choreographer on a musical or making my own theatre work and um, I do think so I approach things very differently and style shifts between those three things I think but there is an overarching style that I feel like has developed over the years but I do find it quite hard to sum it up I and you think about some of those kind of icons people like Fosse who is and will always be probably the most iconic, I think, choreographer ever. <laughs> um, just because his style was so specific and you could spot it a mile off. But you can't really sum it up in words. You know it's dark, you know it's sexy, you know it's kind of concaved, and you know it's um, intricate. Um, and and I think about choreographers now, and um, especially contemporary choreographers, you see choreographers like Hoffa Schechter, who has this kind of style of again so distinct kind of Israeli uh, really fluid grounded movement that you go oh that's his I don't think I have that kind of specific I'm not that sort of a genius in that way but I I know that I'm <laughs> I, I wish um, I know that I am massively um, inspired by the story that I'm telling and that's where I always start as a choreographer so I go, what is the story that this piece of movement needs to tell? And I think that's come from my work with Matthew Bourne and my work with Nihai as a th brilliant storytelling company. Where do I, what do I want to say with this piece of movement? It, so it very rarely comes out of a place of um, steps for steps sake. I will quite, I will be thinking about 
what is the energy of this piece of the story? What visual things do I need to put in to kind of show the world of it or the setting? Um, what's the kind of era? What's the energy? Um, but I am very, I'm always very much obsessed with gesture. I do loads of weird stuff with my fingers when I'm done choreographing, which I love. Um, I'm really always kind of, I think it's very human and it's very, uh, you can kind of identify with it as if, even if you know nothing about dance, if you see gestures and things you recognize and incorporated in choreography, you kind of go, ooh. Um, and that I've become very, I've just worked on a production of Midsummer Night's Dream this year with a brilliant uh, deaf actress called Sophie Stone, who is an icon. <laughs> I'm obsessed, just kind of shaking up the world of theatre, but also being the best, one of the best actresses I've ever worked with. Um, but we got to work together on sign language in our, in our Midsummer Night's Dream, and I was in heaven because it was that same thing that I've always been really interested in, which is gesture and storytelling through my hands and and through through the upper body um but I, so i think that's quite an integral part of my style and also um really full-on musicality both my parents are musicians and um and i get so obsessed with music i'm a bit of a geek and i can close myself up and listen to hours of spotify and um rhythm and uh yeah really feeling music and 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 I guess my style is grounded and kind of contemporary based as well, but I love a jazz hand. Let's not get me wrong. Who doesn't love a jazz hand? No, I'm joking. But um, yeah, so I've got. I think it's a bit of a mishmash. But what I do get to do emotionally with choreography is I get to put something out there that whether it's specific to my story as a human being or not, I'm getting to put something out into the world which people can engage with and be entertained by. And I think that's what, like, thrills me as a as a maker or a creative. Like, the most buzz I get is being able to share something with an audience. So I think, I think that kind of combination of style and joy that I find in it is why I do it. So you've briefly mentioned Matthew Bourne a couple of times now and you were obviously mentored by him. How was it having someone so successful help you out so early on in your career? And what would you say are the important things to remember whilst gaining success in regards to mental health? Um, I think I was very lucky to be mentored by someone who is so generous yeah. and... Um, so down to earth in lots of ways um his my relationship with Matthew is something that has influenced me in so many ways um creatively and as a human being um and I really feel like I can call him a friend now which is brilliant um it was a shock to the system for someone so so I won the new I was one of the winners of the new adventures choreographer award in 2012 when I was 20. So I was plunged into a world of success at a very young age. Um, and he was brilliant in the way that he was very matter of fact about it and it was all about the creative work. Um, so that was great. I did struggle then after that to go, I remember we did our first our only performance of that show that we made at Sadler's Wells and that night flew to Crete with my partner 
on holiday to get out because it had been so full on. And we and I remember sitting the next day by with my phone, waiting for something to happen, and going, oh, maybe someone will go, oh, I really liked your work, or uh, will you come and do it again, or will you come and meet us and talk about projects, or I don't know what I was waiting for, but nothing happened. And I was really proud of the work I'd done at that point. But I do remember that kind of plunge into what I thought would be success. And don't get me wrong, I've been really bloody lucky and I, I do consider myself successful for, and I'm, and I'm f- grateful for it. Um, but at that point, I think that was a bit of a shock to the system of going, okay, it doesn't just happen, you know. Even if you, th- if like, because I felt like life was just a dreamy dream dream. I was going, right, I didn't even finish my training. I've got a job with this amazing dance company and I've just made a solo at Sadler's Wells. And I, <laughs> I was like, yes, queen. <laughs> I was winning. I thought I was winning and I was winning. But then going, oh, okay, I still have to find the hard graft and the push to keep going. Um, and that led me to m- make another show a couple of years later that was a full length show that I toured. Uh, based on the seven deadly sins which was brilliant and I was very proud of but after that I was so exhausted and again what do you do after something like that is brilliant there's always a it's it's that high and low of performance and theatre and and many industries I'm sure but that thing if you do something brilliant and then what do you do next how do you keep finding that energy to push forward and find uh, inspiration and drive to do more um so I did feel my relationship with Matthew has continued and we still are very good friends and I think we'll be continuing to collaborate in the future but there was that su- being part of that world of success can be quite scary when it's not there mm-hmm. um, um and it's I'm sure it's the same for many people so when we started speaking about you coming on the podcast, you told us that you uh, discussed and explore well-being and positivity in your work. Why is this important to you as a creative? Um, and what advice would you give to our listeners regarding well-being and positivity? Um, so as I said earlier, as a performer, I went through some real highs and lows. And I, uh, m- some of my main struggles were with working within a hierarchy um, and working within a structure that I felt didn't work for me creatively. Um, I remember feeling very useless at times as the lowest person on the tier of whether it was performer, resident director, choreographer, director, artistic director, you know, that kind of almost classical ballet hierarchy I I really struggled with because I felt like I wasn't in a place where I could have conversations that I wanted to have creatively or about how I was working and and that's a huge part of me stopping performing what I then found as a performer was I met a company called Knee High (laughs) and my world was flipped upside down when it comes to positivity and well-being because I found in that company some of the most amazing artists that I've ever worked with, but also a way of working that is completely collaborative. Everybody is valued 
on an equal level. Even though there'll be a director, there'll be an artistic director, there'll be all those titles. But I was shocked to feel like I was one of the most important people in the room, as was everyone else. And it really shook me to my core because I went, oh my God, it can work. You can do this. If, if there is a mutual respect from all people on a team of actors, dancers, creatives, magic can happen because people can be their best and people can bring their best to the room and they can feel like they can ask questions and people can learn from each other. It's not a black and white thing of I am here to do someone else's uh, to do uh, someone else's role. No, I'm not here to make someone else's work the best it can be. I'm here to do my best. And as part of that, I can help everyone else do their best. I will never forget going opening a show with Emma Rice in New York. First show we did, we opened in New York. It was ridiculous. It was a show they'd done before, but it was my first time in the show. And she went, go out there and make everyone else look good. And that was the note before the show. And I just went, oh, fuck. Yeah, that's it. Why, why are we not talking about things like that? It's not about what I go out and do on stage because I'll do my best naturally. It's about supporting everyone else out there to go, how can I make you feel like you're doing your best? How can I support you? How can I give you space? How can we work together? And, and that mentality, it's, it's really simple, but it works. And like starting the day as a, uh, with knee high is always playing a game. It's always playing a ball game. It's always uh, I, playing a stupid game, dressing up anything something that you work together and you collaborate they have these beautiful barns on a cliff in Cornwall where they make their shows and every day you can go out and do a run along the cliff and some yoga on the cliff sing a song play a ball game play it it doesn't matter what you're doing but you're collaborating in a way that is playful and joyful and so th I've taken that so much to heart um that now as a creative my aim when I go into a room is how can I be open enough and positive enough to make everyone feel like they are they have ownership yeah. of what they're doing they can talk they can ask questions they can question me um we can laugh we can sit and chat for five minutes if we need to to about I don't know love island whatever <laughs> if there needs to be that space where we can go oh my God, have you heard about this? This just reminded me of this. Let's chat about it for a minute. And it not to be that thing of like, what are you talking about? I want to have a laugh. I To make my best work and to see people do their best, they need to feel comfortable. And I get so frustrated, like enraged. I absolutely, it's one of the only things that really gets me angry is seeing people working in a way that is wholly about hierarchy and about being in charge and about making people know how important you are. And I just don't understand it. To do the best work as a performer, you need to A, feel comfortable. You need to B, feel like you're supported and C, feel like it's a safe space with everyone else to do what you want to do. If you can't feel like that, you're never gonna be the best performer you can be, whether it's whatever art form. And I don't always have all the right answers. <laughs> you know, I go into a room quite often and, and I go, right, guys, I know that the element of this number or this piece of movement is it needs to tell this story. And I think stylistically it needs to be a bit like this. And we need to 
maybe do stuff with this prop. How do we do it? Does anyone have any ideas? Because I'm stuffed. You get to the week four of a rehearsal period for a musical, and I got no <laughs> ideas left. But to get people to be able to feel like they can do that and chip in, you have to set it up from the beginning. And um, and like I feel like every room. It's obviously it all depends on who you're working with on your creative team as well. I'm very lucky. I get to work with a lot of directors who I adore and rate highly in that in that fashion that their work is collaborative and open and generous and playful and silly and fun um even if you're doing the darkest piece of theater if i'll never forget like doing spring awakening (laughs) we rehearsed here actually at the union weirdly (laughs) and um and some of those dark sections of the end of the show which is really full-on and again about mental health and actors going into very dark places mm-hmm. with suicide and abortion mm-hmm. and homosexuality and acceptance. And it wouldn't have worked to go to those places if we hadn't made that joyful space beforehand to feel like it's a warm, safe space. And um, sorry, I could talk about it for hours. Mm-hmm. I just feel really passionately that as, especially as a new generation of theatre makers or performers that we should be striving for that and that's why I'm so excited about what you two are doing with this podcast because we just need to have open conversations it's that same thing that you guys have spoken about on all the podcasts so far that I've listened to is do you feel like you can talk about your mental health in a rehearsal room and I don't think it needs to be a big deal I don't think it needs to be a big deal if you're having a rough time if something's going down and you need some space that's cool. I don't want you in the room. If you can't be in the room for for your... If you're feeling like you can't be there or don't want to be there, but for whatever reason's going on and you need space, you need time, it's not helping me you being there. I want to support you to do your best and be your best and to do my best. And together, those conversations are better for everyone in the long run. You know, I... I had a tough time on a show recently where I was feeling quite overwhelmed with lots of things and I did go straight away and I said to the director I'm having a tough time at the moment uh and I didn't bring it into the room for the whole cast because they didn't need to know because they had so much going on but I spoke to the people I needed to speak to and I said look I'm having a bit of a tough time at the moment um give me some leeway if if I need to go out the room for a bit I'm going to go out the room you can take over can't you yeah fine Amazing. And that was the end of that conversation. And um and it comes at the end of the day it comes down to finding the joy in what we do. We do what we do because we are wanting to entertain, we are wanting to tell stories, we are wanting to move people. We are it's all about emotion. Even if you're doing like I was thinking about forty second street the other day, even if you're feeling like you're doing eight hundred tap steps as like an army of brilliant dancers what are you doing? You're bringing joy to an audience. You're bringing so much like mm. happiness to an audience. It's still so emotion-based, even if it's so specific on steps, you know, or singing really complex harmonies. You're bringing an emotion to what you're doing. So the emotion that we have to have in our process of getting there has to be safe. It has to be positive. Otherwise, we can't do that. Just, just on a little side note of 42nd Street, 
Um, I'm sure we've all seen, you know, that video of um, Bonnie. The, Bonnie Langford coming out. I do not know how many times I have watched that because I've been having a bit of a rough time of it recently and it's just kept coming up and I've been watching it. And every time I get goosebumps because I remember watching one of my best mates, Gabby, um, as Peggy when she was in the uh, original cast. And I just adore it. And it's something that, yeah, it is military. It is. They're all doing exactly the same thing, dressing the exact same thing, but like what I got from watching it is so important and as you say like we need to being creatives we need to build each other up not tear each other down and that's how we're going to make the best work because no one works in a an environment no one works well in an environment that is toxic and if we're all if we're all friends <laughs> it doesn't quite work like that all the time but if we all support each other creatively then that's the best thing that's gonna work for us all okay so if all theatre say globally be it actors, directors, theatre companies everywhere, was using that same safe space like Nihai. Um, and, you know, people were coming into the room and feeling feeling safe. Um, I'm having, I need a moment, I'm going to step out the room. And everyone was on the same level. How do you think, if this movement happened across every single theatre company how do you think that can shape the future for theatre and change it and make a difference and create something that's new and exciting big question big question um i think i do think that there there is one plus to hierarchy and title which is that you can guide a room i do think that if you went into a room with no titles of no one knowing everyone just chucking themselves in, I think it could be really tricky. Mm-hmm. I love having a director or, you know, a musical director or, you know, those titles are really helpful because they can help guide the room and they can make the bigger decisions when they need to be made. But as a whole, if there was more collaboration between performers and creatives and more of an open dialogue, there's going to be more ideas that's that's the simple answer isn't it there's going to be more ideas on the table and there's going to be more perspectives which is really helpful um obviously sometimes you need to go oh god there's so many ideas i'm going to think i think we should go with this one fine you still need that person to make those decisions but you're going to have more on the table to play with new ideas will be happening because people who don't usually talk to each other would be talking to each other you might get a performer talking to a designer about what they what they could do with their costume to tell that bit of story in a different way. So then straight away, there's a new sort of dialogue. Um, and also, I, it is happening. That I think there is more and more kind of ensemble theatre happening um, as we move forward. I do think it doesn't happen very... That sort of work happens quite rarely in musical theatre. Um, and that's something that I struggle with. Um, and obviously it all completely depends on the scenario and the director and and what that setup is but I and, and, and musicals are hard because they are so formed you know they're not being devised you know you have the songs you have the scripts you have the music that goes from scene to scene you have you have set ideas in your script you know yeah. it's very dictated on the whole especially if you're doing something more classic mm-hmm. but you can still find a way of doing that kind of open dialogue collaboration. So I just did a version of Sweet Charity at the Watermill, which is an actor muso version, which is a whole other element of <laughs> collaboration because 
you have to have a dialogue that's open to know whether your performers can do what they're doing with a with a bloody baritone sax around their neck, you know. But what we did have in that room was an, was that openness for everyone to chuck in ideas. And it was a tight time scale, but we worked really well together as a company to bring an old musical up to date. That's what I hoped for, and that's what we did. I then left them after press night to go and work on a show with Knee High in Cornwall, came back four weeks later, and they, as a company, because they felt that ownership, had made the show, I would say, probably 50% better <laughs> by the time I came back without any input from me. Or, and, very, and the director was there a bit, and he'd worked on it as well. But they, as a company, because they had felt that ownership and that strength as a group, worked so hard on it and made it brilliant. I left going, oh, that was okay and that was good and I wish we'd had a bit more time and audiences are enjoying it, so that's good. But like, oh, I wish we had a bit more time. And I came back and I went, oh my God. And I cried. They did Big Spender and I cried <laughs> because, because they had worked with that ownership to do something brilliant. So I think on the whole, obviously everything's different and it's not right for every project. But if there was more of it, maybe the work would be more interesting. So do you think that it's important to create work around the topic of mental health? Um, I think it's important to create work about now. I think that's what I'm getting really passionate about at the moment and thinking about the future of me making my own work. is, And I want to see shows about now and... That mental health is now. Mental health is... The discussions on mental health are more prevalent now than ever before. So, yes, I do think it's important to make work about mental health. I think it's important to tell stories that are about where we are in the world at this moment, whether that's about politic, whether it's about... Um, whether it's about the climate, whether it's about... Maybe less interesting, but I'm sure there'd be some good work there. Um, whether it's about world issues, whether it's about... Uh, people's rights, minorities, um, and as you say, mental health is a huge part of the conversation now, more than ever, um, and kind of coinciding mental health with talking about uh, women's rights and women in the workplace, and, you know, these big themes are what I think we should be making work about now, because if we're not talking about them now, when are we going to do it? I want to be question. I I I want to be entertained wholly as an as an as an audience member. I want to be entertained. I want to laugh. I want to cry. I want to feel all the feels. But I want to go and sit down and also think about something, you know. And if that's opening up a conversation about uh, how it might be for someone who is going through a really tough time. Uh, and dealing with a breakup at the same time, or you know, so, and then having to go to work and lead a company—that's an interesting story straight away. And how that that person might deal with their mental health is an interesting story. I'd want to, I would want to know about that. And and we can be in, we can be entertained by the dark stuff as well, yeah, can't we? Yeah, yeah. It's it is it's a different type of entertainment. It's not necessarily big, big, happy clappy smiles, mm -hmm. but it's it's a different time of type of entertainment which is making you think and um yeah so yeah yeah cool we briefly spoke about the importance of it with Ailey Lone 
Um, but just how important, you know, London's very much ahead of the times from regional places like my little town in Scotland or from all these little towns across the country that don't get exposed to how quick London is and all the amazing topics. So the fact that, say, everybody's talking about Jamie, I think it might be going out on tour, you know, like some someone could see that and it could ch change their life and how important educational through theatre is. So say a show about a play about mental health did go on tour or did go through to schools like that could that could really like change someone's life do you know what I mean I think that's yeah it's so important to keep that alive and use our platform to do that I talking about everybody's talking about Jamie I think your podcast is very <laughs> Jamie centric at the moment with Luke being yeah. on it and everything um but I talking about it in that sense I went to see it knowing I'd enjoy it desperately wanting to choreograph it because I love um, Dan Gillespie's house <laughs> but um and I it was the first and I bawled my eyes out because it was the first time I'd felt truly represented on stage in the sense that it was a single mum a dad that's a bit of a shit and a boy feeling lost and confused about who he is and finding a way to show it and it's the first time I'd really seen that story on stage in that way and I couldn't cope with the emotion that I felt but what that made me realize even more I've always been so pro-representation on stage for all the reason we spoke about but god it drilled it home it was like if you can't see the stories that are about you on stage then why why would you go to see things you know not every show can be about you but you want to have the everyone should feel like they can at some point in their lives go and see something on stage where they go that's my story um, because it's the most powerful thing on the planet and as you say that's talking about mental health that's talking about world, world issues that's but it's 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 about having as much diversity on stage as possible and it's talking about gender and it's talking about equality and it's it's all these big themes that we all speak about but it's doing it and yet yeah, people are doing it which mm -hmm. is brilliant but god it makes a difference yeah. god it makes a difference if you can sit there and really feel like you're your heart can really go somewhere because you're watching something you truly identify with. God, it's magic. Yeah. 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 I just even remember when I was at primary school, I think it was, and um, watching, I think we watched Billy Elliot um, or something, and um, there was like two boys that I remember, they were like, oh my God, I'd love to dance. Because it broke that stigma as well that, you know, you can be a lad and you can dance. And I think that was just, just when you were saying about Jamie, that's the first memory I have of like people that I knew were like, oh my God, I'd love to dance. And yeah, like films as well. It's great. Yeah, yeah and on a slightly darker side, um, we saw Monster Calls at the Old Vic a few weeks ago and I was a mess, wasn't I? And like that was a um, guy losing his mum. I've not lost my mum, lost my dad. And I was like, I've not seen that represented in that way. And that is so important that people can see what people go through when they have to deal with that. And I was I was a complete, complete state. But um, afterwards, I felt, it felt quite cathartic. And I was like, I'm glad that people are seeing that side to things. It's really important. So... Tom, the first time that I met you was at Art Said. I've never actually worked with you at Art Said, unfortunately. Um, but you did uh, a lot of work there, and that's when I was first exposed to your work. Um, being someone that's worked in a drama school and worked with professionals, what differences do you notice when it comes to how you can work with the students compared to how you can work with professionals when it comes to maybe their, their confidence and, like we've been talking about, their ability to um, collaborate with you? 
Um, I think it completely depends on the style of training and where you are. And I, I've been lucky enough to work in quite a lot of drama schools um, over the last few years. And I think there are some distinct differences. One of them being that you're with a group of people. As a student, you're with a group of people that you've been with for either a year or two or six months. or And there's a whole politic about the people that you're in the room with. And that's just real life, isn't it? That's yeah. just the real life element of it, that this person fell out with this person and this person was dating them, but now they're dating them. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's just... And this person got had a really rubbish time last term because they were injured. And, you know, there's that, there's that yeah. politic of being in the room, a room of people that know each other inside out, which straight away can throw up mm-hmm. issues can't it and it can make it slightly harder to work with people because maybe they don't want to work together as much because of whatever reason and you know that stuff's that stuff's real life but it's tricky and um obviously sometimes it's not a big deal sometimes it is a big deal and um groups are different everywhere um so I find that there can be a lot of distraction uh in a drama school whether it's about your grades that you're getting next or that show you're doing after this or you know that you've got to do a ballet assessment in the morning and you know so in some ways it can be quite hard to really feel like you're getting into the nitty-gritty of working with people because there's so much else going on um and there's a yeah there's so much put on drama schools and students especially in their third year oh bonkers man like the pressure and I, I and I have worked with a three few third year groups in different places and I feel it man I feel it I feel f- for the students and I and so my thing is always coming in to try and go you're doing good <laughs> you're fine now what should we do together to make it really dr- like a, a brilliant thing for you to finish your training with um and let's use all the tools you've learned but Again, depending on where you've trained, there is different levels of um, focus on creativity and collaboration. And and with my process, sometimes people really respond well to it and sometimes people don't. Sometimes it's very scary. And, you know, if I'm I'm going, well, I'm going to work on this bit. Well, why don't you guys go over there and think about how you could make uh, use this bit of movement to make a duet? You know, if if in some some people don't respond well to that, especially in training, because it's something unknown. And um, so that can be tricky. But on the whole, I guess the difference between working with professionals and students in training is that the professionals that usually if you're working with a professional company is that they know that they're wanted and they know that they're in the room and they know that they are there because they've been chosen, which is really sad because in training you're all there because you've been chosen as well and you're doing a brilliant job and I want to meet and work with everyone as well but there is that slightly different thing of like you know you're there for a purpose instead of just filling a gap and um and then I guess maybe we should have more emphasis in training about the fact that you're there because you're brilliant and you have something to offer at all times everyone's and and the difference in people the difference in what we offer and the difference is good if we're all the same It'd be boring as hell. I don't want to go and see a show where everyone's exactly the same. Um, You know, like, that would be quite um, limiting very quickly. So celebrating difference and celebrating uniqueness is something that I would really love to see a bit more of in training. 
So on that topic, as someone with a huge platform in the creative arts, is there anything that you would like to achieve to better mental health within the creative arts in the future? Um, so I, yes, in the future, I'm hoping to do some big new things that I can't <laughs> talk about yet um, and keep an eye out over the next year. But part of that is I would really like for us to be able to have these conversations on a more public level. Um, and I would really like, and I, from my, from my perspective, I'd like to start with the creatives. I'd like to start, uh, bringing creatives into rooms to talk about well-being and positive process and talk about how we, how you can get the best out of your actors and your performers and your dancers, because those are conversations that we work so much on the craft of what we do and the actual artisty bit, you know, the making of something or the choreograph, choreographing or the painting or the composing but we don't ever really get training to talk about the human to human aspect of that and that's as I've said before that's so important to me because I've just seen people blossom in ways that I didn't think they'd blossom because and shine people literally shining in something that they were very scared of because you found a way to make them feel comfortable and to make them be their best so what I would really like to hope for in the future of the work that we do is more conversations about working with each other and how we facilitate that in the best way possible um and people are doing it it's happening but we can all be doing it more and uh especially up and coming creatives don't feel like you have to do what everyone's done before you otherwise we're just repeating a book again it's like rewriting the same book i don't want to read that book again <laughs> i read that book it was great but i read it and that, pff, now i've put it behind a cupboard somewhere to hide I was, it's propping up my coffee table <laughs> do you know what i mean like let's rewrite the books let's make work that is different and and that's not a bad thing difference is great it's exciting process can be different the way we work with people can be different we don't need to repeat what the greats have done before mm -hmm. us because Otherwise, we're not going to be great. And I'm so passionate that, yeah, all of you fabulous beasts that are coming up throughout the theatre industry, let's shake it up. Cool. So, finally, you briefly mentioned this earlier. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, the question that we ask everyone, could you walk into a room today and say, I am having a bad mental health day? I could. And that is because I feel like I've fought really hard to work in a specific way that people respond to. So I have, I will not go into a room and let my process or my energy be changed by other people anymore. And that sometimes is good and sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes you get asked to not be in those rooms anymore. That's fine. I don't want to be in those rooms. Um, there's, we need to have a self, a strength in ourselves to be able to know that we have to do what's right for us, not what's right for someone else. And um, so, yes, I do feel like I could say that. I feel like I would be very specific to who to say that to. And I feel like as a creative, it's not something that the whole company would ever need to know unless that feels right. Um, there's a sense of protection that we need to have look after ourselves have those conversations but in a way that feels protected um so yes yeah brilliant what a fabulous interview thank you so much um 
We're just gonna finish with a wee game. Yeah, I love games. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Finish the Sentence. Oh yeah. I, I listened to the podcast before. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Okay, here we go. Being creative helps me wake up in the morning. My guilty pleasure is. Uh, can I have a few? Yeah. My guilty pleasure is Netflix. <laughs> Drag Race, Ben and Jerry's, wine, gin, (laughs) beer, tequila. What about Prosecco? That's all right. (laughs) That was fabulous. I love it. Um, Success to me is? Happiness. I love it. Emerging performers going into the industry should? Be confident to talk. My favourite takeaway is... Mm, domino slash Thai. Not together. Oh, no. no. Thai green curry? Um, Massaman, chicken. Oh, oh. Kathy? Um, I, I don't eat Thai. What? I've never had a Thai takeaway. <gasps> Kathy, we're going for Thai. <laughs> In the future, I would like to... Set up a company... Wink, wink. (laughs) One great thing about myself is... I like colourful things. I love it. (laughs) And you guys can't see, but Tom's hair is currently... I don't even know what colour it is. Is It it was meant to be green, but... Yeah. It it was meant to be green, but now I feel like I'm almost like a yellow highlighter pen. I love it. And I've never been stared at as much, but... Who cares? cares? I feel stupid. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and some lights is green. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's amazing. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute joy to have you on, and we cannot see, uh, cannot wait, cannot see, blah blah. Got word vomit here. (laughs) We cannot wait to see what you do over the next year. I'm sure it'll be very exciting. Thanks for having me. If you would like to be featured on the podcast or you just have any thoughts that you would like to share with us, please give us an email on industrymindsuk at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at industrymindsuk. Please make sure you rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And we are also on SoundCloud for you Android users. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you very, very soon. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you okay, hon? <laughs>